All right, guys, so this is Noah Broderick. I'm Tyler Smith. And this is the Baseball in the Burroughs podcast. Let's go. Episode number seven of the Baseball in the Burroughs podcast. Uh, finally getting back from a long couple weeks here um, with Christmas, which is such a godforsaken holiday with all the crap that goes along with it. But um, it's awesome getting to see family, and uh, obviously we had a good break. So, Tyler, how was your Christmas? Christmas was pretty good. It was pretty relaxing. Got around to different parts of the family on my mom's side and my dad's side. Got my Pete Alonzo jersey. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I did. I have a... Uh, what is it, white? Yeah. I, it's the first time I've ever had a white Mets jersey. I don't I had know a, if you get the black one. This yeah, is a they, don't, they, don't have a, uh, they don't have a black jersey yet. The last time they wore the black jerseys was, I want to say, 08. They got to bring those back. Those are heat. A lot of the, the, the fan base is kind of split on that. A lot of people hate them and a lot of people love them. There's really no in between. I think they're nice if they... I think Pete and Stroman pitched to wear them like every Friday or Saturday night, something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. You guys always have those like primetime Saturday games. So. I remember the, uh, I think it was 2016. It would have been the 30-year anniversary of the 86 Mets. And every Sunday they wore the pinstripe jerseys, like the 87 or the 86 pinstripe jerseys with like the uh, the stripe down, like the left leg and the left arm. And those are really cool. Yeah, they could do something like yeah, that. Yeah, so if they do something like that, that would be Even cool. Even if it's just home games. Yeah. Because so, every time I think of those black jerseys i think of david wright or jose reyes david wright and jose reyes johan santana yeah. like those, those were uh those i thought those uniforms were J- so jason nice jason bay i always had don't even talk, we're, we're not <laughs> this is a jason bayless podcast but i talked about uh i talked about it before off air that the i had a black jose reyes i think maybe calvin my brother had a black jose reyes t-shirt i had a black david wright t-shirt i never had a jersey though and this is the first time I've had a pinstripe jersey because I have an old David Wright jersey, but that's just a regular white, so no pinstripes. Yeah. So Pete Alonso pinstripe jersey was one of my favorite gifts, and then I also brought in a KJ Hamler white Penn State jersey. So oh really? Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of white jerseys this Christmas, and I saw. I think you got the Tyler Hero Miami Heat jersey. Yeah, dude. I'm uh, the Heat. I've just been watching so much of like I didn't anticipate watching a lot of basketball coming into this year, but when the Heat are good, I get into the NBA as in the, like as a whole, just to like size up the other teams. And I think it's just easier to root for other teams, like to watch other games when your team's really good. Yeah. So um, yeah, the hero Jersey was cool. And uh, he just hit like a step back uh, three to give him the lead the other night. So Even was, though he had a lane to the basket. Yeah. I mean, he did, points. but like, yeah. I, he's, I don't know. He's, I feel like he could have got blocked if he wasn't yeah. there on Jay Rich, but um, yeah, no, it's good to get back on the baseball in the boroughs podcast. Um, right now, unfortunately, baseball's kind of, on the back burner in terms of sports right now, obviously football, we've had a lot going on with the college football playoff and the, uh, which we have a question from a, a viewer later. And then we also have had the NFL playoffs starting to, you know, it's about to start and the NFL season uh, winding down and uh, the giants firing Pat Shermer. I know you're happy about that, right? I am happy about that. Not as happy as Amir Howard because the past six or seven weeks, he's been talking about the fire Shermer fire Gettleman train. Shermer has gone no, you told me today that Gettleman is staying. Actually, I haven't been on my phone the past hour or so or whenever. I woke up like 11 o'clock, so I didn't see that. I woke up to the Shermer news. I didn't see anything about Gettleman. Yeah, he's staying. So, Mara yeah. said that he's staying. But he said that Gettleman needs to raise his batting average for you know security going forward. So, is he lefty or righty? Do you think he's a, is he a power hitter? What I don't kind know, of hitter is Gettleman? Whatever he is, he probably has some weird. He's got, he's got a 150 average. He's probably got a negative five war also. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully they draft. Not draft. Hopefully they get Matt Rule or somebody like that in here to coach and 
they could be better than a four and twelve team because you know yesterday we kind of had a microcosm of what the season had been. You saw Barkley have one big play and then kind of not do much else, and you saw Daniel Jones make a couple mistakes, but also a couple really brilliant plays, and then the defense was just awful. So the defense is oh my god, they're atrocious. Yeah, they need the can better, and I think they will. I think the whole staff will be gone once they bring in a new coach. They have thirty four points to an Eagles team that has probably their I think their six or seven best receivers. Boston Scott to the Giants is what Steve Pierce is to the Yankees. Oh my gosh, just a completely random, not good player that just destroys a New York sports team. That was that was a very good comparison. I totally didn't think about that. Was, Steve was, Pierce, uh, World Series MVP, if I'm not mistaken, in 2017, right? Yeah, so I guess Boston Scott's going to win Super Bowl MVP this year. And then he's going to get a big contract. Or not a con- he's going to get a contract, come back to the team. He's and not going to get hurt. Good. Not yeah, play. exactly. That's how, I feel like that's how every sports hero goes. Like A guy who's under the radar like that just has a good postseason. Like, I'm not talking about like the Madison Bumgarners guys that have like stuck around. Yeah, like a guy who does that, and then he's getting bents for Gardner Minshew and then whatever. But, What's an NBA comparison to that? A guy who's never done – really much in the regular season then just goes off in the playoffs. That's a good question. Like Kevon Looney for the Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> the so the Warriors always year. just have those role players though that just works so well. In the Leandro season. Barbosa. Oh my god. That's a big uh, I think that's a big Andy Bergeron fan right there. He's a big Andy Bergeron I should say is a big fan of Leandro Barbosa. He was a big fan of his. But uh every good team has those role players I guess. Every championship team it seems like has those guys. Like I remember uh Mets had Ruben Tejada as their shortstop in 2015. Who There was no reason for him to be a starting shortstop on a playoff team, and he was there at shortstop before he got hurt. So, yeah, every team really has Speaking that. of playoffs, what's your Super Bowl prediction? My Super Bowl prediction? I've been sticking with this for a while now. It's pretty easy. I don't think it's – I think a lot of people pick this. I'm going to go Saints-Ravens. Yeah. I like Lamar Jackson a lot. I, I don't really think that the AFC is that competitive. I don't think the Patriots are as good as they've been. Obviously, Brady has no targets, and Brady's just a guy who's thriving off of the Patriots' offensive system that can really help any quarterback. That defense is very good, but I think, like we've, we were talking about off air, Brady's kind of a shell of himself. Like a, uh, yeah, like you said, you want to see Breeze Brady, and like yeah, Rodgers, I said, Brady's another one. You I said say. last year I wanted to see Breeze Brady, and I feel like the Saints kind of got cheated out of that. And now I feel like Brady at least is not performing the way he once did. So I feel like Breeze Brady wouldn't be as fun. I feel like the most dynamic matchup would be, excuse me. Breeze versus Lamar Jackson. My cousin Cam is a big Saints fan. I watched the NFC Championship game last year with him. Oh, God. How was and that? It, it, it went so quiet after that non-pass interference call. And I just remembered he was so upset. And like it, it was like almost awkward. And obviously, yeah. I've known Cam my whole life. So like, it's not that anything's awkward. But like when something happens like that, me and my brother who are watching, we're two neutrals. We're You're rooting like, for sorry, the Saints. Sorry, man. And- yeah. It's just like, like you don't really know what to say. And then my dad comes in and he's like, oh, yeah, sorry, bud. And like, I know if that was me, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I'm gonna go Saints Ravens. I realize those are probably probably the best team in the NFC, be or the best team in the AFC, though. and one of the best teams in the NFC. So I'd like to see that. But uh, what do you have? I'm different. I have uh, I have Niners Chiefs. Just something about the Niners this year has like championship written all over it. Uh, did you see how that uh, the backup quarterback, his brother, got stabbed? And no, yeah. So and then Shanahan gave like a long speech. Kind of just rallying the team, and they rallied around them. And, oh, they're um, gonna they're gonna win every game now. They're gonna win the Super Bowl. I didn't know, a, I didn't know that. I should change yeah, my pick now. Yeah, it's like they just had a lot of championship things, like that game in New Orleans where Kittle made that ridiculous play, and uh, Garoppolo's played at that level for most of the season now. And um, you know they have such good running backs. For him, most are every carry last night was for like fifteen yards, and they were just gashing up Seattle. And Seattle's another team that could go, but they've just had a lot of injuries. But yeah, I think San Francisco in the NFC, and then I'm just going Kansas City in the AFC just to be different. And also, I, I got into it a little bit with Andy Bergeron on Twitter about this too, um, with Lamar Jackson. Everybody's on the Lamar Jackson hype train. That's kind of like the in thing to do now. And 
he's warranted it because he's been so good this year. But I just I've never seen him play well in a big game before. Uh, granted, he's only had one opportunity, but against the Chargers last year, he couldn't even make a throw over the middle for ten yards. He was just missing receivers left and right. And I think if a team can just take away the running game a little bit with Baltimore, force Lamar Jackson to get into third and long territory and make him become a pocket passer and make him throw over the middle a lot. I, I just think that they'll be exposed a little bit. So I'm going to take the best quarterback in the AFC, in my opinion, is Patrick Mahomes. So uh, what do you got winning? Say it's the Ravens. I think I have to stick with the Saints, man. Saints? I, I'm going to be watching uh, I'm going to be watching their first round playoff game with Cam at least, which is next Sunday. I'm going to go, I'm going to be going back to school the next Sunday. So I'm not going to be able to watch with him. I'm going to ride with the Saints. I've been riding with the Saints most of the actually, year. Actually, you might be. They might be playing on that Saturday night. Oh, true. I actually yeah, think so they might be my last day. But that's assuming they win. But, um, yeah, then we're, no one's really talked about the – we haven't talked about at least the Packers. They're the number two seed in the NFC playoff picture, I believe. I think they're good. I don't think they're as good as the Saints. And I just think that really it comes down to, in my opinion, the NFC will be either the Saints or the Niners. And I know you were saying – Russell Wilson. Did you watch the game last night? Yeah. That, oh, was, yeah. Crazy. that game was a great game. It took was awesome. the uh the delay of game or whatever, and then I forget who it was, barely missed the end zone. Uh we were watching our, yeah, whatever his name game. is, I don't know. We were watching the game over. That's one there. of Cole Fort Muller's like eight waiver wire pickups at tight end this is he a big, he's a big Chris uh is a big he picked uh, up like Caden Smith target. for a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah, he always has those types of guys on his team. Like I always say, no, this is a baseball podcast, and yeah. we have a last episode, I want to say it was last Friday. Yeah, if you guys want to see us do a podcast on another sport, yeah. let us know, because I'd be happy to do it. You know, we're three sport guys, but this is baseball, and um, this is our best sport, and this is the sport we like I was, best, so. I was trying to milk out my football talk as long as I can. Most people know I'm a pretty casual NFL fan, so I just loosely follow. I watch the Giants, but we go into the baseball talk. Last time we had a podcast was Friday, so we weren't able to cover the signing for the New York Mets is Dellen Batantis, the former Yankee. I believe he's a four-time All-Star, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, he was, I think, yeah, four straight years he made the All-Star team. Yeah, so... Uh, and Jeff- I just want to I just want to say thank you, Dellen Batantis, for your time as a New York Yankee. During those years, 2014, 2015, 2016, we only made the playoffs once. We were about an 85-win team those years. It was kind of like a rough patch, as, as obnoxious as that sounds for Yankee fans. Cause it, just it must have been terrible. It wasn't that fun to watch those teams, but Dellen was a really big bright spot in those teams, and he was always pitching his, you know, pitching lights out and striking out two guys in inning. And he was a great clubhouse guy. He was a great guy in the community, and I think the Met fans will love him. So, so thank you, Dellen. Yeah, so ESPN's Jeff Passan. He's the guy I like to talk about a lot on the podcast. He's basically the woge of the MLB, him and Ken Rosenthal. Should we try to get him on at some point? We should try to get him on. I think, I, uh, I think I'll think i do something about that, but now I wish. Can you imagine? Can I mean, you imagine me, could. you, and Jeff just sitting in this we office? Just gotta, right we got to get more listens, more yeah. rates, reviews, subscribe. That's up to you guys. That's not up to me. And no, we'll, get, we'll get these big guests off. Yeah, sure. so Jeff Passon reported that Dylan Batantis has a one-year deal worth $10.5 million, and through incentives, if he pitches in 70 games, he can earn up to $13 million. There's also a player option for 2021 and 2022, which means that we could potentially be seeing Dellen Batantis in Queens for three years for 2020, 2021, 2022. So the way I've been seeing this bullpen is that this is a very high upside bullpen for the Mets, but people are saying it could be a very good bullpen, which it could be, or it could be another horrendous bullpen. And so the way you have to look at that is you see guys like Dellen Batantis. He's coming off of an Achilles injury. He's what, like six eight something like that. He's yeah, a huge he's a guy. Dude. He's coming off an Achilles That's why injury. Why sixty eight? Is it actually? Yeah. Does anybody wearing cool. sixty eight with the mess right now? Or does he? I can't imagine. Him? Yeah. Maybe maybe the guy who uh, maybe their bullpen catcher, but nah, I have no <laughs> idea. But so you have a guy like Dellen Batantis is coming off an injury, which in other sports we see an Achilles injury is very tough to come back for. A lot of guys in the NBA that's pretty much a career ruiner. 
Kevin Durant's going through that injury right now. We'll have to see how he comes wouldn't back. Really mind that, right? I wouldn't. <laughs> it's hard for him I don't. Play. I don't want anybody to have their career ruined. But um, quick, uh, quick uh, note off topic. When me and Cal we used to be big on the Thunder, Durant was like my second favorite athlete. Ah, and so then, you can't really. And then, and then he backstabbed and went to the Warriors, and now we hate him. Obviously, Cal, we hate Durant, right? right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, now he was. Me and Cal were Portuguese. He was, Ronaldo was our one athlete, and then KD was always number two. And just it's always so weird watching him because I always want to root for him because he's awesome. But he went to the Warriors and completely changed. He's a guy with an Achilles injury, just like Dylan Batances. That was the connection right there. But we don't know how Batances is going to rebound. His entire career, he's been very good. So you're getting a reliever with a very good career that he's had thus far. Like I said before, he's a four-time All-Star. Then you have a guy like Diaz, who was part of that blockbuster trade that Brody pulled off last December. And Brody. <laughs> that amazing Brody trade that'll get him a statue outside of City Field when it's all said and done. But he's he really there's no chance he can have a worse year than his 2019. I'm not talking about Brody, talking about Edwin Diaz. Yeah, no, just not. how bad he was. He's still young. He's what probably 20. He's like 24, 25, yeah, something like, 26, like that. But six, yeah, six, he's coming probably. from Seattle, a team had no expectations to New York, basically the biggest sports market in America. And so there's a lot of pressure there, especially because he headlined that deal and the Mets lost so much. They're expecting a lot. I think Diaz is going to come back and be a lot better. I think Beltron's going to make him more comfortable with the Mets. Then you have Familia, who I'm not high on. I think Familia, I don't think he'll ever be very good again. I think he ha- you have to use him as like a sixth inning guy maybe and just try to get some outs. But And then you have guys like Justin Wilson. Justin Wilson was very good last year. I don't know how much – I know you watch the Mets occasionally when the Yankees are not. Oh, Justin Wilson was a Yankee, so I know. I yeah, know he was, uh, pretty good, pretty yeah good. with the Mets last year, I actually – I thought it was a pretty good signing. He was like one of those like three to four ERA guys. Like he was decent. He was a lefty out of the bullpen, but uh, he missed some time with the Mets. But when he pitched, he was actually really good. And he's like, I think he's like one of their two lefties out of the bullpen right now, which scares me, but he's very good. The lefty thing's overrated now because they're going to have that three batter minimum. Yeah. minimum, the minimum. And, um, you know, with that, you can't really strategize, you know, have this, you know, left handed. You can't guy, have the, uh, the loogie, whatever the, it's called. Lo- uh, the, I don't know what it's called, but we had the the classic was Jerry Blevins. He would always come in as a lefty for the Mets. He, plays like Freddie he, had like, he had like a 62 mile per hour curveball or like 65 mile per hour curveball. And he would literally just come in and pitch like Bryce Harper and Freeman. And he had one, like he was so good the one year with the Mets. I think it was 2016 when they made the wild card run. So uh, I remember that bullpen. It was Familia, Blevins, and Addison Reed. Addison Reed was so Addison Reed is one of my favorite Mets. He's one of the most underrated Mets we've had. And he went to the Red Sox. I seriously awful. think he's one of the most underrated Mets of the decade. He was that good. He pitched in like a low two ERA in those seasons, but yeah, so that Mets bullpen. Then you still have, obviously, Seth Lugo, who was brilliant last year. I think he was one of the best 10 to 15 relievers in baseball. And he didn't really have, like, a set spot with the Mets for a while. He was, like, kind of that setup man slash seventh inning guy when the season began because – It's like, hey, Seth, clean this up. Yeah, because we had – You had Familia in the eighth inning, and it was Diaz in the ninth inning was pretty much the way the season was supposed to play out. So you're going to have Dellen in the eighth now. Right? Yeah, and that's by the – his role. He can't close. Yeah, that's he what I heard. Close. I talked to uh, one of my cousins who's a big Yankee fan saying the same thing, but – Lugo was kind of just pitching randomly in the beginning of the year. And then by the end of the year with Diaz and Familia struggling, Lugo, there were points he was taking six out saves in big games in August and September. So Lugo's one of those guys where you could really pitch him anywhere, but he's good enough to be a eight or nine inning guy. I think the way it'll go, I'd go Lugo seven, Batantis eight, Diaz nine. And then obviously you could flip that around a little bit. I think Batantis should anchor that eight spot. Like you said, he's not a great yeah, closer. That's his, that's his forte. Yeah. And if you could, he can get those three outs to get to Diaz. That's great. Then you have guys like Robert Gesellman, and you have some guys that kind of float up and down. So, like I said before, that's a very high upside bullpen, but at the same time, you could have what if Diaz never recovers and he's just kind of that guy like he never was, like he never gets back to that 2018 form. Then you have Familia, who I said is not going to be great. 
Batanta should be good. You just don't know with such a tough injury to deal with. And then at that point, you're basically left with two guys or three guys who had good 2019s uh, with Lugo, Wilson, and you don't know what they're going to do. So, yeah, definitely a high upside bullpen. And if all the pieces uh, put together and they click, I think you have one of the best bullpens in the NL. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about Batanta's injury. I think he'll be fine and ready to go. Um, the thing with Dellen is nine out of ten addings, he's going to be really, really, really good. And that 10th outing, he's just going to have like a real blow-up one. Like he'll walk the first guy on four pitches, then he'll hit a batter, and then two guys will steal, and then he'll give up a bomb or something. Or, you know, guy will steal home. Kevin Pillar did that once. And you're just going to have to live with those outings. And I think you already kind of have that with Diaz where you, it's a big wild card and you don't really know what you're going to get in Familia too. So to your point, it's just – it's kind of a risk-filled bullpen. But it, it, if at least, you know – four or five of them hit out of like the six or seven that you have, you're going to be in really good shape. Yeah. I just, the Mets bullpen has been frustrating the past couple of years in 2018. It's, since 2015, the teams have always had high expectations because they've been good teams, 2016, 2017, 2018, even 2019. They've all been rosters that could potentially compete at no point were any of those rosters, the best team in the national league and let alone the best team in the NL East. Well, but, 2015 was, Oh yeah. I'm saying like the, the past few years, like yeah. we saw, but, um, like the Braves have, the Braves kind of went through that rebuild and now they're a lot better now, obviously. The Nationals have always been a playoff team pretty much, aside from a couple years since 2015. And the Mets always had good teams and then they got hurt by one injuries and two, they've been suffering from a bad bullpen. Last year was pretty much the bullpen. Starting rotation was pretty good. And it was just frustrating throwing away so many leads, especially when you have one of the best Mets pitchers and one of the best Mets of all time already, Jacob DeGrom, like pitching his you-know-what off. And then you have the bullpen just ruining it. But Having a good bullpen, I'm, I'm thinking that this team is definitely going to compete this year just because the offense was very good last year. Kind of underrated how productive that offense was, which guys like Pete, the emergence of J.D. Davis, McNeil, Conforto was productive despite the low batting average. But, yeah, if that bullpen can – if they can figure out that bullpen and the guys they need to perform, perform, they'll be good. I want to ask you something now. Talking about bullpens in New York, there's been rumors about Josh Hader in New York. If you could tell me kind of the parameters of the deal with the Brewers for Josh Hader – and the potential that that happens. What do you think's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, I've seen those rumors and, you know, those Yankees Twitter accounts that claim that they have sources saying that, you know, the deal is close and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how any, you know, have, if there's any truth uh, to this, but I've seen cash strike on relievers, specifically Aroldis Chapman back in 2015. He struck right around this time when nobody was really talking about it. Same kind of mold, left-handed reliever on a team that needs some prospects, needs to reboot a little bit. Cincinnati had been good before that. Um, so I, I could see it, but I just I, I don't know. Uh, it feels like asking a lot. I think the David Stearns and the Brewers, and rightfully so, will ask for a king's ransom. So if you're asking me to give you a construction of a deal, I'd probably say Debbie Garcia, who's the Yankees' number one prospect, or number two maybe with Dominguez now, um, number one pitching prospect would be the headliner of that deal. And then you'd have Andujar or Frazier as the second piece. Mm -hmm. And then a third piece would probably be somebody – down the lower levels, or maybe like another reliever, like a Ben Heller type. Yeah. Uh, so I, I could see that, but at the same time, I just don't think Milwaukee's going to trade him. But we'll have to see because Cashman does strike a lot on these types of deals, and the Yankees have been really, really quiet ever since they signed Garrett Cole. And I don't think their offseason's done. Cashman kind of made it seem like they weren't done. And um, whether they bring in, you know, an infielder, left handed bat, or a reliever, they still have a little bit to do. So it should be interesting. But um, I don't know. Do you see Josh Hader as a fit with the Yankees? I think anyone can fit with the Yankees, honestly. Just the way that team is constructed right now, 
I think anyone can go in there and pitch really well. That bullpen's already. You don't think it's good. Do you think it's overkill? It could be because you have Chapman in the ninth, you have Britton in the eighth, and the Hader's not going to change that. Hader would probably be like your once every three days he pitches two innings in the fifth of the sixth when your starter doesn't have it. Yeah, and he pitches two scoreless and strikes out four guys. That's probably the role that they'd use him in. They wouldn't yeah. use him as the closer. And it's but a you good could look at every, almost every other team would use him in the eighth and ninth inning. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, obviously, when you have that many arms. The thing that scares me about Hader is there's two things. One, this isn't this doesn't have to do with Hader. It's that relievers are kind of weird. Like they can be on and off year by year. Um, like we saw with Diaz, obviously first year, like his first like big year was in 2018. He was brilliant. 2019, he gets traded and he's terrible. Josh Hader, you know, potentially could be the same thing. He's been good for a few years now. So that's one thing like relievers kind of concern me like that, especially if you give a big yeah, hole for so someone. And the other thing is, um, Josh Hader gets used so much by the Brewers. I, I remember the, uh, I was at a game, I believe in 2019 and, it was Mets Brewers at City Field, and the Mets went down by like four or five runs. It was a Syndergaard start, and I we left because we were trying to beat the New York traffic, whatever. And I remember listening on the radio, the Mets started to make a comeback. I remember Pete hit a home run. It was like a two or three run game, and they brought in Hader to get like seven or eight outs or something like that. Did, and then, and did he get him? I think he ended up getting them, and it's it was pretty close. But he's not a guy who's just going to get you three outs. He's a guy that the Brewers have used a lot to get six outs and even more than six outs. And so a lot the, of wear and tear. Uh, yeah, the lot of the lot of wear and tear in his arm concerns me. He could fit with the Yankees, but I don't think that they have to really overpay for him. I think that if they wanted to trade for someone, I think they should trade for a bat. Like I think Lindor would be a better way of allocating your resources with that farm system that the Yankees have. Is so it's good. weird to hear that the Yankees yeah. trade for a pitter instead of a pitcher every, every yeah. single time. I think I think that Yankees bullpen is good enough, and uh, they've held up. The pitching staff is obviously pretty much set now. Unless you guys move J.A. Happ like we were talking about a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I think that'll happen. Yeah. If you so, could find a team, do you think you'll have to send money for him or no? Because he's, he's on a pretty big contract. Probably, but not to, I mean, it's, so it's not many too much. teams looking for pitchers. If you're paying Garrett Cole $324 million, you probably won't have a problem sending some money for J.A. Happ. But I think that I was talking to friends before that the Yankees' biggest problem, even you and I have said, in the ALCS against the Astros last year, they just needed that one big hit. I think the pitching should hold up now, especially when you have – Garrett Cole, big game pitcher. Tanaka, big game pitcher. Pitcher. Uh, Paxton, Paxton, that game five was really yeah, good. Too. And Paxton doesn't he's, have he's balls. So. Paxton doesn't have the ace expectations right now. Obviously, he can be an ace, but when you have Garrett Cole at the top, I think Paxton can relax he's a little a three more. Right now, yeah, and uh, he's. I, I think, think that's going to benefit him a lot, especially being in New York. But yeah, Hater Hater's not necessarily a terrible fit. It's not a great fit. He would help them, I think. I'll, but, give, you, I'll give you two things about Hater. That's interrupt you. But yeah, two no, you're things, good. Two good cat, you know, caveats for the Yankees. Number one. The Yankees don't need Debbie Garcia, and they don't need Miguel Andujar. Yeah, they don't need those guys to win this year or next year. Mm-hmm. Josh Hader is four years of control. Those guys have six, or yeah. Andujar in this case five. Debbie Garcia is six. So you could argue that Hader alone would have more value to the Yankees than those two would, because the Yankees already have about seven guys that can pitch in their rotation. Yeah, aside from Garcia, it has six if they move half. and then they also have a third baseman, a Gio Urshela, and they have a guy like Lemayu that can move over a third. And they have a DH in Stanton, and I don't even want any of our playing third base to begin with. That guy can't field. Yeah, so like we don't. We I mean, if we dealt those two guys, we're not going to miss them really. Yeah. So I, I could definitely see Cashman doing that and just saying, "Hey, we're going to try to build the best possible roster to win a World Series this year, and we don't really care about those guys because they're not going to be needed anyway." The second thing is the Yankees in that case would have the three best left-handed relievers in the league. Yeah, and I don't think there's anybody. I mean, maybe Brad Hand, but Chapman's the best. Josh Hader's second. And then third was probably Britain, either Britain or Brad Hand. So for the Yankees to be able to throw that out there, and in that case, like you were saying, there's not that many good left-handed relievers. For the Yankees to have the three best ones, 
to get guys like Jordan Alvarez. Monopoly on the left-handed uh, reliever market. Yeah, I know. And the Yankees would just be loaded with them. And then from the right side, they can throw Chad Green, Adam Adovino, and Tommy Canely at you. And, and then maybe Loisica, who was a big arm, and throws 99. I just – I don't know. I mean, it should be interesting. I hope that they do it, but I'm not going to be mad if they don't. And like you said uh, before we started recording, the Brewers could use prospects. You see, they don't have any top 100 prospects in their farm. No. Is that what you said? So, yeah, that would obviously help them a lot. So – those are the two big reliever topics in New York. We have the Mets with Dylan Batances signing him, one-year deal, two player options, and we've been hearing more rumors about Josh Hader returning, not returning, Josh yeah. Hader going to the New York we Yankees. We got one more Yankees yeah. rumor too, Kyle Schwarber. Remember Ken Rosenthal tweeted that like a week or so I saw, ago? I saw Kyle Schwarber, and then I've also seen uh, buzz about Nick Castellanos. Got to tell me about both. I don't think Nick Castellanos is going to happen because he's a right-handed hitter. And that's some weird Twitter account, MLB Marathon, putting that out there. Who knows if they actually have sources or not. But I'm not going to get into Nick Castellanos. With Schwarber, it'd be – there's it's just like Hater. There's upsides and downsides to it. I think more downsides than Hater. Just from the fact that Schwarber, 25% strikeout rate, that's a little bit above league average. The Yankees already have Judge, who strikes out way above league average. They have Voigt, who strikes out way above league average. They have Stanton, and then they have Sanchez. And that, can, that can kill in the postseason series, they, especially they, when you're facing elite pitching. Yeah, like Judge, I don't worry about against the elite pitching, but Stanton, a little bit different, and then yeah. obviously Sanchez, a lot different. If you throw in a fifth guy who strikes out a lot in that lineup, it's a little bit – it's a lot concerning, in my opinion, for the playoffs, actually. Now, a little bit during the regular season, you can kind of get away with it. But um, here's the good side to it. He's the left-handed stick who the Yankees can throw in the middle of the order that they haven't had in a while. And he'll probably hit 40 home runs in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And he's been putting up 850-plus OPSs the last two or three years. And we've seen him hit in the postseason. So maybe the strikeout thing is a little bit overrated. So. That postseason in 2016, he came off like a torn ACL in the beginning of the yeah, year. And he came back and just dominated like five in the uh, World Series. He hit like two against the Mets. And then he yeah. hit that one off the Budweiser side. Yeah. He, was, uh, against the he was crazy, yeah. But, um, so like he's a really good player. He can't really field. So he might so would, you D- would you DH him? And then would you, you have to play Stan, stand I guess? Left. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's Stan's not like defensively challenged, I think. Uh, no, Schwarber I think that's, a, that's an overrated narrative. Yeah, yeah. People think that. He was a gold glove finalist a couple of years ago. I think Stanton would be fine in left field. The problem with Stanton playing the outfield a lot is because he might break down. That's yeah. not overrated. His body, you know, he's, yeah. he's injury prone. So it'd be interesting. I think Hader's more likely than Schwarber, to be honest. I think if the Yankees get a left-handed bat, they could try to break the bank for Lindor at some point. But if they don't do that, they could sign a lower type guy like a Brock Holt. Sorry to the Red Sox fans listening, but yeah, somebody like that. Yeah. We apologize for the phone call we just got. That was Jeff Passan. He called in to me and Noah asking us a couple questions. So we'll answer those later. We're going to get into the White Sox signings. They recently added a couple of players. First, Dallas Keuchel on a three-year $55 million deal. I was telling Noah before that he got a pretty big paycheck. And for the White Sox, this was kind of out of necessity just because the big names on the starting pitching market are all gone. Kenjin Ryu just signed with the Blue Jays. We'll cover later. Zach Wheeler decided to join the Phillies, even though the White Sox gave him more money, I believe. Madison Bumgarner obviously signed with the Diamondbacks, and Steven Strasburg stays with the Nationals. He said he wanted to stay with the Nationals. That's something a lot of people saw coming, including Noah, who was nailing that in the free agency prediction category. But, yeah, so Dallas Keuchel, he went to the Braves after the start of last season. He was one of those guys like Craig Kimbrell, who was holding out for a – good paycheck and they never got it so they both took one-year deals i believe kuckle pitched pretty well with the braves and the three years 55 is a lot for a guy who's getting older i think he's in his high 30s now and he's been a pretty good pitcher most of his career he's only 31 he's only 31 only 31 i thought he was older 
I'm just looking at his Fangraphs page right now because I don't really know. I, I thought he was old. Yeah, well, 31's not bad then. So three years, 55 is still a lot for a guy who was on a one-year deal last year, pitched well, but he'll help the White Sox out. We'll pair him up with Lucas Giolito, and they're going to be more competitive now. They sign Yasmani Grandal. So, like I said, the White Sox ran out of options, and the other guy they brought in to help that offense is Encarnacion. Edwin Encarnacion signs a one-year, $12 million deals deal with the Chicago White Sox. Noah, you watched a lot of Encarnacion last year, especially in the playoffs when he was kind of – I think you referred to him as a black hole in the middle of the He lineup. was. It was so tough for me because I was, like, saying during the whole season he was going to be the X factor in the playoffs. Like, if he was as good as he was in the regular season, then we were going to be unstoppable. And I think that was right because he came up in so many big situations and he wasn't good. So, like, that was right that he kind of killed us because he had a lot of spots where he came up with two guys on and two outs – and he'd strike out or just be laid on a 92-mile-an-hour fastball. And I'm like, what the hell's going on with this guy? Yeah. But because, like, during the regular season, he was absolutely raking with the Yankees. Granted, he was injury-prone a little bit. And, unfortunately, he got hit with a pitch uh, from Josh Taylor, I think, on the wrist. And he missed about six weeks with that. And then he strained his oblique towards the end of the season. He came back without having much of, uh, you know, reps. But he was so good in the Minnesota series that I was kind of dismissing how much time he'd missed. So, I think the White Sox got a good bat. Um, he wasn't good in the playoffs like we touched on for the most part against Houston, but last year in Carnacion, 244 batting average, 344 on base, 531 slugging. That 531 slugging is really good. Uh, 129 way to runs created plus. Put up 2.5 war. He played 110 games. That means he's probably going to be a little bit over a three-war guy over a full season, which is like a good player. It's not an all-star type player, but it's a good player. And um, he'll bat in the middle of the order with Abreu. And I think the White Sox are kind of going for the Twins style of hitting a little bit, where they have a bunch of guys who can just slug. Aloy Jimenez, Jose Abreu, Yon Mancada, Evan Encarnacion, Grandal. These are guys that hit a lot of home runs. They also strike out a good amount. So it's going to be a little bit feast or famine like that, but they should be able to feast on the awful pitching staffs in Detroit and Kansas City and Minnesota even. And um, I think the only team that they'll have trouble with is Cleveland. Um, but the White Sox, is good. like I said, it's good to see them making moves. And Encarnacion definitely helped them being a veteran presence in that clubhouse with a lot of young guys on that team. And then Tyler mentioned Dallas Keuchel, three years, $55 million. He's been kind of like a 3-4 type for the last couple of years. It's tough for me to look into his numbers last year that much because he didn't have a full spring training. And he was kind of just thrown into action in the middle of the season. But he put up a 3.75 ERA, which is like, you know, middle of the rotation. It's not bad. Uh, 4.72 FIP, which is not good. That's more five-starter-like. Seven Ks per nine, three walks per nine. So that's that's not very good. Over a home run an inning, 1.3. 112 innings, and he only put up a 0.8 war. So, like, last year he was, I think, at best a fourth starter for Atlanta um, on a really good team. Three on, you know, not-so-good team, which is kind of like what the White Sox were last year. But the year before with Houston, he was a lot better. 3.74 ERA, same type. But 3.69 FIP, which indicates that uh, he's going to be a little bit better. Uh, 3.3 WAR in about 100, or sorry, 205 innings. So if you can go back to the being that type, and granted he's a ground ball specialist, so I shouldn't yeah. really read into his uh, his strikeouts too much. If he goes back to being that type, he'll be a veteran that can anchor that staff a little bit. With uh, as Tyler mentioned, Lucas Giolito, who had a breakout season, and they have young guys like Michael Kopech coming up and. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, who wasn't too good, but also like Gio Gonzalez. They have the makings of a decent staff. And with that lineup and in kind of a weak division, they should be able to compete. So how do you feel about three years, 55 million? And it gets a little bit of I think that's overpay, but yeah. listen, like you said, it was out of necessity because uh, Cole was off the market. Strasburg was off the market. Zach Wheeler was off the market. And as you know, they made a really competitive offer for Zach Wheeler. and He just didn't want to go there. 
so I think it was out of necessity for them. And I think it's good on Jerry Reinsdorf's part and going out there and spending money. It's good to see that, like you said, even they were on Zach Wheeler, other players would have taken that if they were Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler wanted to stay close. I think his wife also wanted to stay close. Yeah. They stayed in Philly. So that's good to see a team like the White Sox who haven't been good in a while actually want to compete. And they give serious money to Zach Wheeler. He didn't end up taking it. I did think Keuchel was older, so I thought that contract was way worse. I thought he was in like the 34, 35 range, but 31 is not bad. We just saw Strasburg get paid at that age. So three years, 55 is not bad. Do you still think that the White Sox need to do more if they will to compete, or do you think they're not close to, compete. to competing? No, not to compete. I think they could win 85 games with the roster that they have right now. Well, I, I, didn't, mean, I didn't mean compete. I should say, do you think that they can contend? Do you think that they could potentially so be a steal? Team? Yeah. I think they need to do a little more. They'll, they'll definitely team. compete. I they think they'll have reliever. a fun season. They need another reliever, and they need another starter. I think their offense can compete right now. Yeah. So they have Tim Anderson. They're and pretty Mikata, young offense. It could be pretty good. Very good, Menez could take a big step. They got Mazzara, too, and that yeah. trade is not bad. Grandal, obviously. So I think the White Sox offense is there. Um, they need another bullpen arm, and they need another starter. And they can get those guys either this offseason. Probably a bullpen arm is more likely for the offseason um, than in season. But they could also get a starter in season. So. I think they could be like maybe seven games out of the division by the trade deadline, but also like maybe two out of a wild card. Yeah. And then they can go out and get a couple guys and see if they can get on a hot streak. I think that's kind of what the White Sox are. I don't think they're a team that's going to be like the Yankees or, you know, the Astros or Atlanta or the Dodgers, who you know is going to win over 90 games. But yeah, they should be able to compete. Another big signing that happened since our last episode was Hyunjin Ryu, former Dodger, signed a four year, $80 million deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. That's a young, dynamic Toronto Blue Jays team. Me and Noah were saying probably a few more years before they can really compete, but they have a lot of exciting pieces. So last year, Hyunjin Ryu was probably for at least half of the season was, I'd say, was the number one most likely candidate to win the Cy Young. He pitched really well. He finished second in Cy Young voting to Jacob deGrom, obviously. Ryu was always like, he was like a three or four kind of guy in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. Last year, he put up incredible numbers. He had a 2-3-2 ERA. He won 14 games. He was, he was just a very good pitcher. He kind of tailed off a little bit at the end where I think most of the season, like the first half at least, he was like in that mid to low ones ERA. And it was kind of out of nowhere. He doesn't throw too hard. He kind of has soft stuff. He hits his spots. And DeGrom kind of ran away with that. As we saw, Scherzer had an injury. He missed several weeks. So he's going to Toronto. He's going to be the ace of that staff after having a really good year. No, I think you have some more advanced numbers for us on the Fangraphs website. Yeah, well, so this year, like you said, 2.32 ERA, 3.10 FIP, which is really good. Indicates his ERA might be a little bit better than how he actually pitched. 4.8 war, which puts him at like an all-star level pitcher. 182 innings, he struck out eight guys per nine, only walked one per nine, a less than a home run per nine. So he pitched really, really well this year. Like you said, he was a Cy Young uh, finalist. But the problem with Ryu over his career has been durability. 2013, when he broke in, 192 innings, which is perfect, 30 starts. 2014, pretty good, 152 innings, 26 starts, but a little bit. You know, you can see an aisle trip in there for about a month. 2016, he only pitched 4.2 innings. 2017, 126 innings. 2018, 82 innings. So this is a guy who's been struggling to get to the 150-inning mark for most of his career outside of a couple of years. And um, that's kind of a concern for me. It's a little bit of a red flag when you have uh, to commit four years to a player and $80 million. It's a lot for, for a guy who might not be pitching that much. But if he's pitching, he's a guy who you can rely on to be at least a two or a three starter. Last year, he pitched more like a one, even though he wasn't really that for the Dodgers in the playoffs. That was more Walker Bueller. Uh, he's a good pitcher, and I think it's a good move for Toronto. It's kind of similar to what we said with the White Sox. Um, with these teams, you want to see them trying to compete. You don't want them just seeing running out there 
triple A arms and yeah. watching them pitch to a five ERA and struggle to get out of the fourth inning. You want guys who can go out there and compete and win some ball games. And I know as a Yankee fan, the Toronto games won't be as much of a cakewalk because they've been the last couple of years because they have some young hitters, as you mentioned off air with uh, Bichette and Biggio and Guerrero, uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. They have guys who can compete and now if they have pitchers who can help them compete on a nightly basis. Uh, that's going to be a big plus for them. And um, I think he should be that as long as he can stay healthy. And so overall, I like the move. You do too, right? Yeah, it's a good move. The Blue Jays are a team. I was saying to Noah before we started recording. They're very exciting. We have guys like Kevon Biggio. We have Bo Bichette. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Those are those guys were so much fun to watch last year. They were always uh, – I mean, they were always airing their highlights and whatnot on Quick Pitch on MLB Network. They'll be a fun team. I think they're still – couple years away from competing, like you said, they don't have many arms yet. Aside from they have Ken Giles in the bullpen. You said their second starter is like Tanner Rourke right now. So yeah. that's not a rotation or a pitching staff in general that's going to really help you compete, but that offense could be good. And anyway, that AL East is pretty stacked. Obviously, you have the Yankees are the top dogs there. The Blue Jays – or not the Blue Jays, excuse me. The Rays had an incredible year last year as a team was barely spending any money, and they just have these really good arms, a lot of guys on uh, team-friendly deals. So – I think the Blue Jays probably know they're not going to really compete, but like best case scenario is they could like kind of insert themselves as like a pretty good team. And then you have the Red Sox in that division who had a pretty bad year in 2019. They were just kind of victims of a really bad start with that West Coast road trip. So that division is still pretty loaded. And I don't think the Blue Jays are quite ready to compete, but I think they'll be a pretty good team. Um, yeah, so it's a good move for them. Like Noah was saying, we want to see them compete. If you have anything, if you don't have anything else to say on the front of the Blue Jays or the rumors. I have a new segment I'm ready to launch. Are you ready for this? Go for it. So this is Brian's Trivia Minute. I have a question from you submitted by a longtime listener, Brian Muller. Oh, yeah. He asks this question. Are you ready for it? I have the answer. I kind of already knew it, but he says, Cody Bellinger just won the National League MVP award, which is the club's 13th honor. Two National League teams have never had a player be named MVP. What are the two clubs? Oh, man. That's tough. Let's see. I know they've had it. Padres. Padres are not one of the They're two not? teams. Who's their MVP? Tony Gwynn at one point? Probably, probably Tony Gwynn. That would make the most sense. I didn't sense. know if he was like that that level. Okay. Um, Do you want me to give you one of the teams? No. Give, me the, give me the two divisions. Two divisions? NL East, NL West. Okay. All right, Colorado Rockies. Colorado Rockies have an MVP. So it's Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are the first team. Okay. I actually yeah, that's not good. When I looked up the I had one of the teams and then I just saw the answer and I saw the Diamondbacks with the other, but I guess that makes sense. So there's on, one I, more I, team. I can get the East team. I think I can get the East team because I know three of them have it. I'm down to two teams. Yeah. Harper won it for the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Rollins won it for the Phillies. And yeah. Stanton won it for the Marlins. So yeah. that's the name of it. Yeah, Mets. It's the Mets. It's, it's the, the Mets. second team. Yeah. So. Yeah, because the Braves, I think Chipper Jones. Yeah. So one. I want to say the Mets MVP I only could have thought of was Keith Hernandez won in the like 84 85 with the Cardinals, I believe. And then he got traded. And then they had Daniel Murphy was an NLCS MVP. And aside from that, they don't have a true MVP. So that's the first question. I knew the Mets right away. I, did, I, did Nittany Bryan do that just to get at you a little bit? Nah, Nittany Bryan. Uh, actually, he could have. You know, I'm going to have to talk about him. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to him off air. But. I kind of thought the Mets would have been one of them just because, you know, just knowing the Mets, they've had good players, obviously, but knowing whoever won an MVP, at least as far as I could remember. 
Um, and then the Diamondbacks, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I thought Goldschmidt had won one, but I was thinking. I, I was thought about Goldschmidt too. Yeah, he never did because I know Posey won for the Giants. The Dodgers, as he said, uh, Bellinger. I think Kershaw won too. Yeah, Kershaw did win one. I, I guess Tony Gwynn had to be the Padre. Who was the Rocky? You know, did Matt Holiday win? An MVP? Did he ever win an MVP? I don't think so. No. And Arenado, I know, hasn't, and that's like a big thing. Colorado Rockies MVP. That's a good question from Brian. I wonder where he got that from. Let's see. Colorado DJ LeMahieu. That's my MVP. Uh, NL MVP Larry Walker, nineteen ninety-seven. Okay, okay, that's a good I question. A I don't think case. I should have yeah. thought of that. Okay, so it's a good question, Brian. We appreciate that. So we are going to now get into some hmm. listener questions. No, our first question actually comes from my dad, Shane. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate the question as always. He asks, "Who's the first American League and National League managers to get fired in twenty 2020? I take the NL, which is me, Tyler, and Noah, you take the American League. So, Noah, we had a text conversation about this a few days ago. And the National League, I want to say they have, what, like seven new managers, like first-year yeah, managers? it's tough and for you, the National League. You team. pretty much always – a manager always gets at least a year, it seems like. And so the way I looked at it was any of the teams that have a manager fired in the National League at this point, you have most of the teams – not most of them, like seven or eight teams have first-year managers – there's a few teams that are going to compete heavily. And aside from that, you have teams that are in like hard rebuild, like the Marlins. And one of those teams, like the Marlins, they just gave Mattingly a new contract. So we assume he's not going to go anywhere. So what I said to you, which is it's kind of hard to pick. It is a very good question. It's just hard to pick in the American League, at least, or the National League, is that I was thinking two teams that could be there are teams that have high expectations of competing and they kind of just don't reach those expectations. And so... I said Dave Roberts with the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been good for years. It's just they've never had that uh, that big win in the playoffs that either won in the World Series or like last year they got knocked out in the division series. So I said Dave Roberts is one to watch out for just because every year they choke in the playoffs, it's always like, will Dave Roberts be back? And then he comes back. So you he's think a just guy, one time they're just it's I think going to cut it loose. Yeah, but I uh, I don't know if it's going to happen. It, it's really hard to tell. It's a very good question. Then the other one could be Craig Council with the Brewers. The Brewers don't they haven't been really making many moves. They don't have many big names there aside from Yelich and Hayter, the two big guys. And so they're a team that's kind of been in that postseason picture. They lost in the wild card game last year. And I want to say they won did they win the division in 2018? Yeah, they were like 163 games. They had that I think. crazy run in September. Yeah. And so the that's a team that's been in the postseason. Team. I just yeah. about that. They really are. So I could see something like that, although Council's done a good job there. Are there any other teams? If you could, if you want to help me out here in the National League, maybe Cincy, David Bell. It could. He's be, a yeah. second-year manager. And they have, so I was thinking that, but, but I they think, have the expectations. Yeah, the because the they've had a lot of signings. That was another team. I think we actually talked about. So I think he'll do well there, but uh, that's another team to watch out for. But then, like I said, a lot of these other teams have new managers, and for the most part, they're getting. They should get at least one year to see what's going on. So I'd say Craig Council, you can look out for, and Dave Roberts. Those are two kind of wild card picks, just because those are very good teams. There, at least good teams. The Dodgers should be very good. And the Brewers are a team that have competed the past few years. And the David Bell's a good pick just because the Reds haven't been good in a while. They have a lot of expectations. So I'm going to turn it to you in the American League yeah, if I'll you have an American answer. League. Um, the guy I ended up going for with this is uh, Scott Service of the Seattle Mariners. I went through the teams and I looked at teams that have been kind of in the rebuild stage. And I wanted to see how many of those guys are new managers. And a lot of them are. Uh, Charlie Montoya with the Blue Jays. I kind of circled the Blue Jays as a team maybe, but he's new and I read into it a little bit and they really like him over there. Uh, Brandon Hyde with the Orioles. They pretty much said we're going to be bad for a couple of years and we just want you to instill a culture. And I think you saw that last year. They had some players who 
you know, back in 2018, they were just not competitive. Last year, they at least were competitive in some games. Um, I think they played hard for him too. Chris Woodward with the Rangers, he got a vote of confidence from John Daniels, so I don't really see him getting uh, canned. So I think the the rebuilding team that kind of has the lowest leash with their manager is the Mariners. Uh, Service has been there for a long time, uh, as long as I can remember, even with Robbie Cano. And they've never been to the postseason under him. Uh, Jerry DePoto has said that he wants to win pretty soon, and he kind of made the blowout moves, so he didn't expect to win last year, but he wants to see improvement this year. So I think if they don't improve, which I don't really think they're going to improve because they've kind of dismantled their team, um, I think that he's going to be the scapegoat for it. So Scott Service was the guy I ended up going with. Good pick. It's a very good question. I appreciate the question. Dad, if you ever have more questions, feel free to send them in. Next question comes from Zach Olden, another longtime listener. He asks, what team disappointed you the most during the winter meetings? Noah, we'll start with you. Uh, for me, it's easy. It's the Dodgers. They haven't done anything. And um, that's a team that lost even earlier than they have in the past couple of years. They lost in the division series. Granted, they kind of ran into a karma-filled freight train with the Washington Nationals, but they just need to get somebody in there, whether it's a big bat or it's a big pitcher, that can help them get over the hump because they've been running out this interchangeable team for the last couple of years, and they haven't really had that guy to anchor that team and just will them to a win. I think Bueller could eventually be that guy, but he's still really young. And um, I think a guy like Lindor could be that on the offensive side of the ball, and I thought Garrett Cole could have been that on the uh, starting pitching side. And they've so far missed on both, even though we haven't seen Lindor get traded anywhere, which is probably an indication that the Cleveland's going to hold on to him for a little bit longer. So for me, it's the Dodgers. Next question comes from Cole Fortmuller. He asks, do the Los Angeles Angels make the postseason? I'm going to say no. I think they'll put together a better year than they have in recent years. That's obvious because of the signings they've brought in. I think they'll be good. I don't think they'll be good enough to compete yet. They'll. I think they'll be in like that 80 to high 80s range, but... Ultimately, I think with a pretty good American League that they're not going to make it into the postseason. I think they still need some arms, and that offense could be very good. But ultimately, if they don't have help in the rotation and just the starting pitching and bullpen as a whole, I don't think that they're ready for the postseason. If you have a different answer, you can put it in. I agree with you. I don't even have much to add to that. They just need about another three or four pitchers, whether it's in the bullpen or the rotation. Uh, they don't really have any depth, and the depth isn't quality depth that they have it. So uh, they're still a long ways away, but they have a great offense. And um, I think that, you know, with Joe Madden in place, they're going to have a better culture there. So uh, good question from Cole. Thank you for sending that in. So the last question to conclude the seventh episode of the Baseball in the Burrows podcast comes from Vasilis, however you say his last name. Manetis. So. We're sorry about that. We refer to him as V. Vasilis asks. Vasilis is somehow trans. Uh, maybe getting his yeah. last name wrong. He somehow turned that into Aaron Hicks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, actually earlier, Vasilis actually agreed with Noah today. Vasilis is always uh, messing with Noah. Uh, I, love, I love Vasilis. His, he's, he's smart. Yeah. He's one of the smarter sports fans you're gonna get. Yeah, he, so. he's always. You guys are always having these analytical battles, which I appreciate. Uh, the arguments they're always good because they're not just coming out of Tim just trying to be you know what like he's actually like backing up with numbers for the most part unless he's messing with you about Aaron Hicks but that's for another time he asks a good question unrelated to baseball we like to have fun with these topics outside of baseball he asks Clemson or LSU Tigers or Tigers Noah you're applying to Clemson you're waiting to hear back are you gonna ride with them um yeah I'm actually not for that reason just (laughs) for the reason that they have the best defense and Isaiah Simmons is a future giant I'll take Clemson I'm gonna take LSU I haven't followed college football until this year. Both my parents went to Seton Hall. I had no reason to watch. Uh, football is not my favorite sport. I'll enjoy watching it occasionally, but I got into it more this year. Obviously, Penn State had a very good year, and they recently won the Cotton Bowl. I'm going to go with LSU, and 
That's for two easy reasons. One, I love Joe Burrow. Great story. Incredible quarterback. How many touchdowns did he's he have? He's going to be the best thing about the state of Ohio. <laughs> How many I mean, touchdowns did he have in the, the uh, in the bowl game against Eight, Seven Oklahoma? passing, one yeah. rushing. So, obviously, Joe Burrow. And I love Coach O. He's got a great voice. He's a funny guy. Seems like the players love him. He's built a great relationship with Joe Burrow and his family. So, I'm just going to go for them. I'd love to see them win. He's so scary, but, dude. Like, yeah. Imagine him like waking you up. Yeah, he's, he seems <laughs> like Tyler yeah, up for school. He's, he's got the voice. Yeah, anything he says would be intimidating. He's got. He's, he seems like such a nice guy, though. I'm sure the players love him. So, V, we appreciate the question. All the questions we got, and Brian with the trivia minute, we appreciate all of that. Thank you for the input. Keep listening. We're approaching 300 listens. So, we should have an episode out next week. Hopefully, by then, we'll have a guy like Donaldson sign or something like that, unless Heyman keeps tweeting about it. The him. Nationals will be focused on I him. I can though. guarantee the Nationals will be focused on him. But thank you for listening once again. I am at T Smith Sports on Twitter. Noah is at Noah Broderick 20. We are at B A T B Pod on Twitter as well. Thank you for listening. Rate the podcast. Leave a comment. Keep tweeting at us, and we'll see you next week.